6, and hopefully everybody got notes in your bulletin today. If you didn't, we do have a few extras. Anybody need notes for tonight? Just wave here, and the ushers will try to find you. Got a few that need them. All right, he's running all over. He's fast. All right. Very good. We're getting there. Does anybody have one on this side for Molina? We have enough? Okay, we're good. Very good. Ephesians chapter 6. We've been in this series instructions included uh, at the beginning of this year on Sunday nights. And we started back in chapter 4 of Ephesians with basic instructions that God has given to us. Uh, to every one of us. We've given instructions for, uh, for couples, for husbands, for wives, for children. Uh, tonight we're in instructions for fathers, but this is not just for fathers, it's for parents, really. Uh, for fathers, mothers, anybody who's ever going to be a parent. And uh, when we read this passage and go through it, I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 4. And you fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together once again tonight. Thank you for the good singing and uh, for the great spirit that's in this place. Yeah, we know that it's the spirit of the Lord. We pray that tonight it would work once again in our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'd like to share a, a blessing to some of you uh, who like to visit folks during the week and get to meet them. Um, two of our ladies have, have just um, been doing an amazing job each week. Um, Linda Fogel and Ginger Brashears have been taking some of our guest cards and going out and meeting the folks who've come the Sunday before. And I believe it's just making a huge difference um, in people coming back to church and, and getting to know folks. It's so really like to commend those ladies. And uh, we, we have a lot of volunteers who are helping in so many ways throughout the week here at Centennial. Ephesians 6 and verse number 4. This instruction, we're going to get right into your notes, and we'll do a little preaching along the way as well. Ephesians 6, 4. This instruction is addressed to the fathers because they are designated by God to be the head of family government. And so the person in charge of, of provoking children to wrath or of managing the home of managing the way um, the household runs is supposed to be the father. Now, if you talk to most mothers, you would find out that the management of the actual house is for sure the mom's job, right? Uh, mom's the one who makes the chore chart. How many have ever had a chore chart in your whole life? Okay, so you know what a chore chart is. Um, mom's the one who never comes out with pink laundry at the end because she knows how to... She knows how to mix it, right? Um, mom's got all these things going for her. And, and sometimes, you know, especially in American Christianity and American home, dad gets painted by society as the guy who works all day, goes home and sits in the lazy boy and falls asleep and watches some TV and goes to bed. And that's all he ever does. Now, we don't want that to be the actual case in Christianity. We, we'd like to see fathers who are involved enough in their children's lives that they learn what their needs are. 
to be able to nurture someone, you have to know what their needs are. To be able to admonish someone, you have to know what level they're at. And, and so nurture and admonition in this passage is a big deal. But this passage uh, is primarily addressed to fathers. And yet we're going to cover, as I said, uh, for parents, how they should act toward their children. Next one we see. This passage shows parents that their commands should be such that they can be easily obeyed. They can be easily obeyed. Now, most children would disagree with this premise altogether because all commands are tough to obey, right? Um, You guys have a memory back to the Garden of Eden. How many commands did God give to Adam? One. How easy was it? Don't eat of that tree. Right? Pretty easy. And he broke it. Now, children are naturally going to disobey. You don't ever have to teach them to disobey. You don't have to send them to a special school of disobedience. Um, They naturally disobey. We talked about obedience last week. And you guys remember the proper type of obedience had three parts. See if we can remember them as a, as a group here. What's one of them? Cheerfully, okay? Cheerfully. What's another one? Yes. Immediately. Yes. He's got it? Completely. Very good. All right. Cheerfully, immediately, completely. Now, one of the instances or examples we used last Sunday night was asking a child to take the trash out. Right? Is that a simple instruction? Is that a simple instruction? Um, why would anybody get upset about having to take the trash out? Because why? Because it's gross. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think of that one. Um, what I was thinking is because they're playing a game or they're listening to music or they're reading a book and it distracts them from what they want to do. Right? Now, The problem is that type of obedience carries over to our Christian walk. And so many times we don't obey God because it bothers us. We're busy. We don't want to be distracted from what we want to do. And so many times we struggle with those three parts of obedience. And yet, fathers and mothers, we're to be sensitive to give simple instructions. Now, if you have any airheads at your house... Um, and we, I will not mention the names of, of the ones at our house, but um, you could give them two instructions together, and it's not that they legitimately tried to disobey you, it's that they didn't even remember what they were. Neither one. Why didn't you do those two things? I can't remember what they were. Right? And if you gave them three, that would be the end of the earth. And, and so... We're starting with this premise of simple instructions. Now, as we mature, we should be able to handle more instructions. We really should be. But sometimes we try to load too much on. And, and where this starts to come into play is when we become judgmental of our children um, for responses, when maybe we didn't understand their response or ask about their response for words that they're saying, for things that they're doing. And uh, this passage is addressing us giving commands that can be easily obeyed. Let's go a little further. 
as parents. We should be sensitive to the fact that children have the potential to be discouraged in their attempts to obey. You don't ever want it to be the case where your child is trying to obey, but your mouth is discouraging them from obeying. You're nitpicking or you're pushing them down instead of lifting them up. You're dogging them on a subject can keep them from obeying. And this passage is very clear in teaching us how we should respond. And this is not just with children, but with all people. Listen, if you want to get somebody else in the human race to do something, there are ways to do it. Right? The way to do it, number one, do not nag them. Number two, do not demean them. Number three, don't make fun of them while they do it. And yet, sometimes we do that with their kids. Um, They're trying to empty the dishwasher, but they didn't do the top shelf first. They did the bottom. And we've got to nitpick at them about that. I'm just making that up. Hopefully that didn't really happen at your house. Um, Or they put the cups away first and they were supposed to put the plates away first. And sometimes we add these extra little things or rules and components into the mix and we expect more than we should have. And when we raise our expectations too high for other people, we're always going to be disappointed. There are people in this room who have unhappy marriages. You know why it is? It's because you expect too much out of your spouse. If you would drop your expectation levels back down to zero, you could have a happy day. If you said, you know what? You know what I expect of you today? If you wake up and stand out of bed, I will cheer today. Right? That would be a great way to drop your expectations back down. Um, you remember the dirty socks he's left on the floor for 27 years? Right? Stop expecting him to pick that up. If the same bitterness grows in our heart over something that's never changed in our relationships. And we should expect more out of our children. But sometimes we push them too hard. And that's what this passage is discussing. Is provoking them to anger. Now, last week. We hit pretty hard on obedience. So, kids, I really should have had you plug your ears on this one tonight because we're not giving you a break on your obedience. Your obedience should be complete, cheerful, and what's the other one? Immediate. Yeah, immediate. Should be. But now we're talking to the parents tonight. So none of you go home and beat up on your parents about this. It's a bad deal. There's not supposed to be any laughter at this point. All right, let's look at Colossians 3.21. Now, this is the parallel passage in Colossians. Um, Most of these early churches, the only Bible they had was a letter from Paul. That's it. A lot of them didn't have the Old Testament. Some of them did, maybe a few. They for sure didn't have any other books in the New Testament. A lot of them, all they had was a tiny letter from the Apostle Paul. And so you could take a book like Colossians, and I ever read it, read the four chapters of Colossians, and think, this was the only Bible this church had. And then see how powerful it comes out as it goes through creation. It goes through God's preeminence. It goes through marriage, and it goes through parenting. And as we get to Colossians 3.21, look what it says. 
Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. If you have ever seen a discouraged look in your child's eyes, please entertain the thought that you might have been part of the problem. Right? Now, I've seen the look before. So I know that I've been part of the problem before um, by provoking a child to anger. And a lot of times we say, well, listen, I'm the parent, they're the child, they're supposed to do what I say. Yeah, exactly. Um, But how many of you parents know that we're imperfect too? Yeah, I didn't see many hands up on that one. Um, How many of you kids know that parents are imperfect? See, they're, they're bashful about this. They're, they're not sure, should I raise the hand? Do they have the cell phone camera out? You know, look at this, busting it out. Okay, um, parents are not perfect. Our Heavenly Father is perfect. And you know how our Heavenly Father treats us? He treats us with love and grace. He told the disciples, he said, even the heathen, if their kids ask for a fish... Will they play a trick on their own kid and give them a rock instead? I mean, there are parents who are actually mean enough to do that. Here's your fish, and it's a rock, right? That'd be mean. How many parents have ever done that? Okay, hopefully not. But God says that he's so much more graceful than that. And as parents, we need to give grace and not discourage our children. Now, there are times when the attitude of a child is a rotten, stinky attitude. That's a word that we sometimes use at our home. I don't know if it's a normal word anymore. Um, But there are times when that attitude is horrible, and it legitimately should be dealt with. But there are other times where the attitude is is poor because a child has been discouraged. And so let's combine what we heard last week with what we heard this week. Back to Ephesians 6. Let me tell you, parents, um, three ways that we, we can wound our children. Here they are. We wound our children when we are unreasonable. When we are needlessly severe. And when we show visible anger and discipline. Those are the three ways that we can wound our children. Now, the book of Proverbs goes through and just gives you all kinds of wisdom tidbits on how to raise your children. And it agrees with what we just said. When we're unreasonable. Now, here's the problem. The definition of unreasonable changes in the eye of the beholder. Right? If it's a teenager defining unreasonable, then everything you ask them to do is unreasonable. So we're not just going to say unreasonable is the word we're going with. We're going to have to say unreasonable Um, in the eyes of God and what we expect from our children. Um, Unfortunately, in Christianity, we desire our children to be closer to God than we are, but sometimes we expect more out of them than we expect out of ourselves. We expect more consistency out of our kids than we show them in our lives. And that's what this is talking about. Unreasonable means I'm asking one of my children to do something that I don't do. I'm asking them to show a spiritual fruit or trait 
that I don't show. That's unreasonable. And a child will see that through that pretty quickly. Um, and unfortunately, that's where we get into a lot of trouble as Christian parents when we're demanding something because it's, quote, right when we're not living it in our lives. Yeah, so unreasonable is a big one. Here's another one. We just read it. When we are needlessly severe. When we are needlessly severe. Now, society teaches us that any type of corporal punishment is severe. Right? The book of Proverbs teaches no such thing. The book of Proverbs says, If thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. It says the rod for reproof. And it's very clear that there should be some type of corporal punishment taking place because for some reason, God attached the switch that deals with attitude in the posterior. That's God did it. I didn't do it. He did it. Um, it's back there. And uh, you hit that switch a few times with a, a good wooden paddle, and it's a miracle of what God can do through that. Now, some children require more correction than others. Some situations require more correction than others. Um, if your child accidentally spills their milk at dinner, 10 swats is probably not warranted. Right? Unless they're doing it on purpose time and time again. So we can be needlessly severe. If you train your child according to the book of Proverbs in the right way, I doubt that you will ever have to give them that many swats for anything. If you're consistent with it. But you have to be consistent in how you do it. And we don't want to be needlessly severe. Um, even in the times when there is a big offense, there's a big disobedience, there's a horrible breach of, of what's taken place in the home, that's a time where we need to sit down with the child and we need to spiritually talk to them before we administer discipline. And there may be out here, some out here who say, Pastor, we just don't believe in corporal punishment. And we don't do that. And I, I will not answer to God for, for your kids. You will. And so I, I'm not upset at you. That's your decision. That's your call. But here's what I believe. And I'm no expert. My oldest kid's not even 15 yet. But here, here's what I know. When we do it according to God's way, um, he can change the heart and the attitude in a wonderful fashion when we call them up and, and we sit down wherever that designated area is and we talk about the offense and we talk about the punishment and we administer it in a loving way. Here's what will drive your children to anger quicker than any other thing. It's this third one. It's related to what I'm talking about right now. When we show visible anger and discipline. If you do use corporal punishment and you do it when you're angry... You are losing your child. You're losing your child. And actually, I have to tell you as a Christian, you're abusing your child. We are not supposed to discipline out of anger. Now, I know it's happened before. I remember when I was 17 years old, I thought it'd be cute to call my mother by her first name. It wasn't cute. It was handprint on the face for a week. And she, would, she rightly did it. Um, just wasn't acceptable. It was just the wrong thing to do. And my mother is a very fun and meek woman. But I crossed the line. So any of you mothers, you have the right out there. 
pop them one. All right? I'm just teasing you. Um, you, you want that right? All right. You, ha- you have the right. Go for it. Um, there are lines that we cross in respect for authority that should be questioned. But how many understand that th- your three-year-old may not understand that whole line? Your five-year-old probably doesn't understand that line. They may have heard somebody at your house who just came over for dinner call you by your first name, and so then they called you by your first name. So you probably don't want to punish them for that. Just teach them, all right? Um, how many of you remember the first time when your kid was three or four years old and they said a cuss word? Right? You're like, where did you hear that? They don't even know what it is. They don't have any idea what they're talking about. They heard it somewhere, probably on the television that you're watching. Ouch, right? Um, so, so they're hearing it from somewhere, and sometimes we needlessly react. And when we, when we show visible anger and discipline, we are hurting our child. I'm going to show you in this next one why that is. Next one, a child who sees his or her parent angry and disciplined will inwardly condemn that behavior and treat his mom or dad like a peer rather than a parent. Okay? When you discipline an anger for any reason, your child, if they're even five, six, seven years old, they will inwardly condemn you. They will know that you're doing the wrong thing. By disciplining them in anger, they have the sense to know that that's the wrong thing. And because they know that's the wrong thing, now they will start treating you like a peer instead of a parent. You will lose respect in their heart. How many understand that respect has to be earned? Respect isn't just by a title. Just because you have the name President of the United States does not mean people respect you. Oh, did I say that? Strike that from the tape. Um, just because you have a title on your desk or you have a title on your door or you have a name in the house of dad or mom does not mean you can trample over people and be ungodly. And God wants us to treat people the right way, especially these tender souls who need nurture and admonition. And so if you naturally have this tendency to be loud and vocal and angry as you discipline could I just give you just the best advice ever? Don't discipline them until you settle down. Wait 10 minutes. Have them go sit on their bed and wait till you can settle down. Say, Pastor, have you ever disciplined your child when you're angry? Yeah. Was it effective? No. Not effective. You know what the most effective time is when you can sit down and logically, scripturally explain, this is why, this is what. Let's talk about your heart. The heart's the real issue here, not what you did. And be able to work through that scripturally, prayerfully, lovingly. Let me give you a little other tidbit on this one next. If the child submits in this case, it will only be because the parent is the strongest, not because the parent is right. So if you discipline your child when you're angry, they will probably submit, probably will, but it'll only be because you're bigger and stronger, not because you're right. Now, here's another question, and this will address what some of your kids are thinking right now. 
my parents are always angry when they discipline me. I don't, I don't buy it. I don't believe it. Um, here's what I know from disciplining children, at least three of them, for many, many years. There are times when you discipline exactly the biblical way, and your child is still angry. You know why they're angry? Because they have rebellion in their heart. Rebellion is a sin that grows in a child's heart like weeds grow in the sidewalk. It doesn't need watered. It doesn't need anything. It just grows and sprouts and goes all over. And that anger during discipline, could I tell you, don't ever leave the room of discipline when one of you is still angry. Don't ever do it. If you don't get through that child's anger during that discipline session, then that's a failure. It's a failure. And I wish that I could go back to times when my kids were three, four, five years old and do that all again. Because those seeds that were planted wrong have kept growing. And they keep growing. And we don't want them to end angry. We don't want us to be angry. Yeah, we want to do it the right way. Next one. The discipline and instruction that is given should cause the child to be acquainted with the Lord. The only way that that's going to happen, though, is if we're Christ-like in how we do it. The only way the child is going to know God through us is if we act like God. See, no matter what home you grow up in or grew up in, you first saw God through whoever your parent was. And maybe that might be why it took you years to come to God. Maybe you've been through a lot of pain in your life. I don't know your story. But I know this. If we're doing it the right way, and like I said, we're all imperfect, we all fail, but if we consistently try our very best to discipline in a godly way, it will acquaint our children with God. If you ever ever read Hebrews chapter 12, you'll find out that God's in the discipline business too. And if he doesn't discipline you, you're not one of his children. That's what it says. It says you're illegitimate. You're not a real child. You're fake. You're calling him your dad, but he's not really your dad. And when he disciplines us, the Bible expresses how he does it. Have you ever heard the, the term scourging? Scourging? It's like spanking. God sometimes has to spank his children. And how many of you have ever felt God spank you and you raised up kind of angry about that? Um, That's how discipline sometimes works. And yet, we find in God's discipline this, this awesome love, this grace. Everything that you talked about, how God's an awesome God tonight, he's awesome in all those things even when he disciplines us. And so when we discipline our children... Now, I, I've never had it happen yet, but it would be amazing. If you got done disciplining one of your children, and they came over and hugged you and said, Dad, you're awesome. That'd be cool, right? Mom, thank you. You're awesome. Thank you for caring about my welfare and my spiritual walk. God bless you, Mother. <laughs> it hasn't happened yet, as I said. Um, some of you kids may try that, though. It'll get you, get you out of there a lot quicker. That'll really, mom and dad, before you spank me, I just want you to know I love you. 
Now, I have had a kid try that before. Dad, I'm so sorry I did the wrong thing. I love you. I love you too, son, but we still have to have a spank. All right, so there, there's all the different things going on there. Last one. To allow a child to grow up without proper instruction is like allowing a garden to grow on its own. And that's, unfortunately, this is what society does. They plant a whole bunch of seed out there, and then they just let it go. As God's children, we have a responsibility to care for the garden. To care for what we've planted on this earth. God wants us to. And there are ways we can do it. Obviously, the local church is here to help you as a parent. We're, we're here to help you in every way we can. And we try to shape ministries that will be a blessing to you as a mom and a dad and, and to young people. But the ultimate responsibility for watching over the garden is the home's responsibility. Um, when the garden gets neglected and the wall gets torn down, bad things begin to happen. Then the book of Proverbs has a whole parable, a whole parable about that. You know, I've heard people say dumb things like this before. I want my child to be independent, so I'm not going to teach him about the Bible. I want him to grow up and be able to make their own mind up. Why are you teaching them about cooking and tools and sports and farming and fishing then? Why don't you just let them be independent? See, what that is, that's a cop-out and excuse for not doing what God told you to do. You know what God told the fathers in Deuteronomy 6? That they should teach their children when they're sitting down, when they're rising up, when they're walking by the way, when they're at the table. They should post scripture in their house. They should always be teaching their children in the admonishment of the Lord. And when we neglect that, we do it to our own demise. We teach our children things naturally. We really do. Um, do you know people teach most by example? A man who doesn't pray is teaching his kids not to pray. A woman who never opens her Bible is teaching her kids never to open her Bible. When we treat church as a convenience instead of a priority, that's what we're teaching our kids. It doesn't matter what we say. Kids, I don't think smoking be best for you, or I don't think drinking be best for you, and we hear all these stories. Listen, our example is the greatest teacher we have. God wants us to be examples in the home. And as he teaches us, one of the things that God does is he empowers us. He empowers us. And uh, if you're a parent in here tonight, and you still have kids under your care, I know that you desire God's power in your parenting. You desire God's role and, and his love in your parenting. And I hope that's the prayer of your heart. Being consistent is the huge key to this. Now I'm going to have Dawson come up. We're going to do an example we do every couple years here. If you'll notice, he's getting bigger than I am, so this is getting much harder. I actually had to use Briston Voschultz last time. I forgot. Maybe I should have used him again. Um, when Dawson does something wrong that deserves discipline, you got to move with me, boy. Move with me. When he does something wrong that deserves discipline, his thing, he doesn't go to his room. 
he goes to mom and dad's room and he sits on our bed because we don't want to discipline him in his room. That's his space. And so he goes and sits on our bed. And what, depending on what the nature of the thing was and if his father is angry or not, um, his father waits until he's not angry anymore. And then he goes up and sits on the bed with Dawson. And he takes Dawson's arms. And if Dawson is in rebellion, he doesn't want his arms taken, so he pulls his arms back. And so his dad takes his arms again, and we have a talk about what he did and why it was wrong and why God doesn't like it and what the heart sin was that caused it. And then we have to have discipline. And I'm going to tell you, I'm only telling you this as advice. If you don't want to use it, that's fine. Uh, you can do it however you want. Some of you use a switch or a belt or whatever. What we use, we use a one by six. It's about this long. The reason why we use that, it's not going to hurt this young man. It won't hurt him. Now, it'll make it sting. He'll have a hot posterior for a few minutes. But it won't bruise him. It won't scar him. It won't hurt him. It has equal coverage as it hits his posterior. All right? The only way he gets hurt, and, and he knows this, the only way he gets hurt is if he moves. If he moves. Right? Now, his, his number one thing that he has to do I'm not going to actually do anything to him. He has to bend over the bed. Bend over the bed, boy. He has to put his, put your hand out there. Do it properly or you're going to get yourself in trouble. All right. He bends over at the waist. He puts his hands out and he looks straight ahead. All right. And then his dad or his mom administers the discipline right here. All right. Now, if he raises up in anger during the discipline, he gets an extra one. All right? If he moves during the discipline and scowls, he gets an extra one. And when we get through it with him taking it on the posterior like he's supposed to and being able to stand up and look at his father in the eye and hold my arms without pulling away, we're almost done. Then we usually will have a hug and a prayer and that's it. You say, boy, that just took a long time. Some people take more time to train their dogs than they do their kids. We are to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, Dawson is, how old are you? He's 13 years old. He still gets spankings. You say, Pastor, how old's too old? God will tell you in your home. Um, God will tell you in your home, Okay. Um, you know why he still gets them? Because he still needs them. <laughs> Do you know why you still get them from God? Because you still need them. Never ends. There's always an authority. And uh, I'm not building Dawson up as anything. He is as much of a sinner as anybody in this room. Probably more than some. Um, so he's just up here as my model, not as a model. Okay? Um, but if you ever need help with how to administer discipline in your home, I'd love to help you. I'm not an expert, like I said. But I have read a lot of things, and I've seen a lot of things, and I've done it the best way that I know under God, according to His Word, to raise these children up that God has given us. They are such valuable treasures, aren't they? They're such valuable treasures, and we need to treat them that way. And sometimes we get discouraged in our parenting. We become weary in well-doing, and we take it out on the very people we're supposed to nurture and admonish. 
And I encourage you this week, if you feel like all you're saying is negative to your kids, take some time this very week to try to say some positive things to them, if you can find any. (laughs) Go out of your way. Son, God bless you. You have legs today. I mean, that's amazing. You clipped your fingernails. Or, uh, no, there are good things in every kid in this room. D? Sure, give a testimony. 